morning. Why don't we take just a moment as we gather, maybe you've seen everybody as you've come in, but take just a moment and turn around and wave at everybody, throw them a hug, uh, air hug, and um, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord and worshiping. This indeed is the day that the Lord has made, and we are called and even commanded to rejoice and to be glad in it. And thankful that God gives us that joy, no matter what our circumstances as we walked in this morning. What an incredible week we have had just past this Prayer Watch 2020 as we undertook it and began it last Sunday. It ended yesterday afternoon. My prayer is that we found our normal prayer life changed, that we found ourselves more often in prayer with the Lord Thank you to the many who tuned in each day as we live streamed from the sanctuary. And then from midday on Friday until midday yesterday, there were at least two folks um, here in the church throughout the full 24 hours praying watchful during that time as, as uh, some folks came. We certainly did not have as many as we have had in past with COVID considerations and the rest of it, but I've heard from so many uh, about the prayers being lifted up, and praise God for that. Again, I will say that our, our prayer uh, as leaders of this church is that this would not be an event that we held and we have now finished, but that this would be a call to arms, if you will, because our weapon is prayer, our, our bowing humbly before the Lord and asking Him to intervene in our lives. And so we pray that this would be a springboard moment of revival and renewal in our congregation. Um, I have felt the refreshment of the Lord this week. I have felt a change in, in my pattern. I hope and pray you have. And if not, then we invite you to uh, step into it. Uh, we sent all of the prayer materials out, and they work as well for any week as they did for this past week. We certainly focused on praying for the world around us, and what a great need that is. God has called us the beacon, uh, his light shining in the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but we are Christ's hands and feet here. And so we need to continue to shine that forth into a world too easily uh, seeing only darkness. So thank you, uh, whether you came and prayed wherever you were. Uh, so thank you for that. Tonight, youth will be, will be meeting, of course, out back under the tent. But at 5 p.m. in the upper parking lot, park in the other lots, uh, please, adults, come, bring children, bring yourselves. We'll have a time of learning. Do we need to stay out of that lower parking lot and park elsewhere, or what's the plan tonight? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you park. But anyway, park and come up and walk up to the uh, upper parking lot, and we'll have a so socially distanced Fun time of learning. We're teaching the kids the Lord's Prayer and a couple of songs, but I tell you what, it's right at my level, and so uh, I think you'll, you'll have a good time as I'm looking forward to it also. It is my joy now to, uh, to read to you a resolution of your session. Uh, the elders gathered together are called the session of a Presbyterian church. I said that for those of you who are live streaming and don't know what it means to be Presbyterian, but the leaders of our church are the session, and they are the spiritual overseers of the church, and from time to time, uh, they issue a resolution such as this, and uh, I want to read it to you. Lenore Presbyterian Church, Lenore, North Carolina, 
September 2020, whereas Barbara and Larry Freeman have touched profoundly the life of this congregation and the wider Lenore community for years, Barbara being a daughter of Lenore and Larry a beloved adopted son, and whereas they have served this congregation faithfully in many different capacities, Barbara most notably as choir member and elder, and Larry as faithful worshiper and violinist, and whereas they have through this congregation and in their own unique ways supported outreach into the wider community, seeking to alleviate human suffering and injustice through the sharing of kindness, mercy, and the many other resources with which the Lord has blessed them. And whereas Barbara was instrumental in the establishment of many of this congregation's ministry partnerships, and key to the founding of this congregation's foundation, which helps to ensure our ongoing mission for Jesus Christ, and of which Barbara has served in a long and exemplary manner as president. And in this, Larry has been Barbara's committed partner, and more besides, they have shown themselves to be encouragers of the disheartened and messengers of Messiah's good news. And whereas they have shown a particular care for the economically disadvantaged and have been ever mindful that to whom much is given, much is expected, Luke 12, 48. And whereas they have met every challenge with professionalism, cheerfulness, and abiding faith in the loving care of our Heavenly Father, therefore be it resolved that the session of Lenore Presbyterian Church has made a substantial contribution to Yokefellow Christian Ministries in honor of Larry and Barbara, and be it further resolved that the session and congregation offer to this dear couple our love and deepest gratitude for all they have done and continue to be in our life together in and for Christ, the session. And I know uh, for a fact that they are live streaming with us right now, so they will hear us as we applaud them. It would have always been an opportune moment to do that, but uh, Barbara recently stepped down as president of the foundation, and so it's a, especially appropriate in this moment. And uh, we do thank God for so many saints that he continues to bring through the life of this congregation to touch the community and points far beyond that. We give God praise uh, for that, and now we continue to worship God as we pray that God would be in our head, and as he is in our head, that he would settle in our heart and change our souls. Let us listen.
Thank you, Bethany. Thank you, Nora. God is with us. God, present in His Holy Spirit, now draws us together in prayer. As we come together, let us uh, praise God, and then there will be a time for us to pray for those, either aloud or silently, that we know are standing in the need of prayer. Let us bow before the Lord. Oh, Father, we thank You. We give You all glory. You who are our strong tower in all moments of life. Lord, sink deep into our lives. Shape and form our understanding by the truth that is Your Word. And we praise You and thank You, Lord, that You do that day by day. We're stubborn creatures, Lord. We, we want to do it our way. Help us to see that life according to Your will is so much more joy-filled, so much better, surpasses anything we can even begin to comprehend. We thank You, Lord, that in all moments of life You take all things and You work them together for good. Father, we know the promise of Scripture that as we turn to You, we find healing. It, it may come in ways that we want immediately. It may come over time and in ways we never imagined. But Lord, from Your mercy seat always is the promise of healing for those who seek You. And so we pray, Lord, that You would bring healing. And that You would give us wisdom to understand and to see how You are doing that in our lives and in the lives of others. And so, Lord, this day we pray for those who have recently undergone procedures or are facing procedures for Tommy tomorrow with hand surgery. Lord, we pray for those who are facing grief. We pray for those uh, bereaved who have lost loved ones. We pray for those, Lord, who are facing mental uh, turmoil, uh, there is not peace in their soul. We pray that you would speak to their lives as you so long ago spoke to the waves, peace, be still. Father, we pray for those fighting disease. Lord, now we lift up the names of those that we are thinking about in this moment. Teresa, for Dottie, for Robin. for our nation, for the hungry of this world. Lord God, we are mindful that in so many situations we have the answer. In so many places you have already put the power to change lives in our hands and we have done nothing or we have done too little or we have done those things that we should have left off doing so that we could do what you'd like us to do. So Lord, we confess that we have not loved as you have loved us. We have not loved others as you have loved and forgiven us. And we ask, Lord, that you would quicken us this moment by the forgiveness that we know is a reality for us. The blood of Christ is certain that we are forgiven we will be with you in eternity, so let us be those who in our thankfulness reach out to touch the lives of others. 
Lord God, we want safety. You want us to take salvation to the world. Stir us. And now, Lord, unite our voices as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We... uh, are continuing if you have not been with us uh, and you're either coming in by live stream or are here present in the sanctuary we have been preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament and we will come in a few moments to chapter 6 our scripture text for the day Uh, I want to put it in a bit of context before we read that chapter Um, I am mindful as we study Ecclesiastes that it is not necessarily easygoing. It is difficult scripture to read. I hope and pray that you are in the practice of watching the the path of the scripture readings that are given to us in the steeple and that you read in the week beforehand and study and prepare your heart to come in and then our time of worship together will be that much richer because of your preparation ahead of time. But as you're reading through Ecclesiastes, there there are some tough chapters, and chapter 6 certainly falls into that category. It just has some, some phrases that are difficult to understand what God is seeking to say to us. I hope I'll bring some greater understanding uh, to us as we go forward this morning, but but... Um, Let me just commend to us that Ecclesiastes, I believe, is a great book for us to read. And I am seeing more and more each week God's wisdom in not having me preach it several years ago when I had the thought that I might and having me preach it here in the fall of 2020, a year when we aren't we all saying about 2020? Gosh, I just wanted to be done you know, New Year's this year, woohoo! that's going to be a big party. Big party. And, and so yet, in the midst of a year like this, God says, be joyful. Know that I am in charge. I am the Lord. You know, by tradition, Jews read the book of Ecclesiastes on the third day of Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot is also known as the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths, the Festival of Tents. Those are all three synonyms. Tabernacles, booths, tents. Sukkot celebrates the successful wilderness exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land. And of course, in that time, Israel lived in tents. Sukkot is the last of three Jewish autumn festivals. They're all held during the significant seventh month. We know about the number seven in uh, in God's economy. The seventh month of Tishri. Rosh Hashanah, or head of the year. Rosh, head, uh, ha, of the Shana year. 
Rosh Hashanah is uh, the festival of trumpets. Uh, I should have brought our shofar up here this morning and, and, and blown it because uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah is the festival of trumpets and it marks the beginning of this key month of celebrations. It's really of the Jewish festivals. It's the closest to our New Year's celebration. Uh, Rosh Hashanah was celebrated a week ago. And, and then at sunset today, as we come to the end of our Sunday, at sunset today, uh, Yom Kippur, the, the high and holy day of atonement, will begin and it will end at sunset tomorrow. And then Sukkot will be celebrated October 2nd through 9th, later this week. And so there are these, this string of three uh, holy days of the Jewish calendar, uh, and they are all autumn festivals, and like most fall festivals, they're joyous occasions. They're, they're joy festivals, all of them, and they celebrate the, the, the wonders of God's redemption of His people. And so the Jews give us good guidance. We should read Ecclesiastes, not like we usually do with our Western minds of Life is meaningless. All is vanity. I have no idea what Solomon is talking about. Let's go to Philippians. You know what? At least one commentator calls Ecclesiastes the Philippians of the Old Testament. The Jews give us good guidance. They read it on the third day of one of their most joyous festivals. We should read Ecclesiastes as a book filled with the joy of God, with His grace. Life is not meaningless. It is filled with purpose. Undoubtedly, Ecclesiastes, undoubtedly, indubitably, you could say, Ecclesiastes forces us to ask the question, we don't, need any, we don't need any encouragement in this because we say it or ask it every day. Why is life so unfair? Life is unfair. Solomon wrestled with this question as he sought to explain the meaning of life. He used the Hebrew word, we came to it weeks ago, hevel. And, and hevel describes the meaningless, the vanity, the vaporous, appearance of life how it comes and goes in a moment it seems Hevel, we said uh, uh, one commentator years ago compared it to a soap bubble and who doesn't love to blow soap bubbles you know and we make the soap bubbles and they're so beautiful floating around try to grab one try to control soap bubbles you can't that's Hevel. life is not something we can grasp that we can control that we can hold to gain wisdom to, to see the wisdom of life. Solomon keeps saying over and over again throughout this book, we must ask God to give us life wisdom. Solomon did this when God spoke to him and said, ask. And Solomon asked for wisdom, and God loved that he asked for wisdom so much that God gave him not only wisdom, but he also gave him what he didn't ask for, wealth and power and prestige and honor. And yet Solomon still had to live his life to see all of this. And so Solomon's life also was filled with injustices. I'm going to skip over that, Brian. 
the next scripture reading. I'm just going to say that I was going to read 2 Chronicles 1, 8 through 12, but you can read it. It's simply where God says, ask of me. And Solomon asks for the wisdom. And, and God gives him all the other things also. Why did Solomon ask for wisdom? He asked for wisdom because he realized that the people of God were a large people and he did not have that which it would take to be able to rule over them and to do that well. And in fact, Solomon already had experienced in life that there is great injustice. And so as Solomon continued through the years of his reign, he, he came to understand what he writes out in Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes shows us the way to this life wisdom. Ask God. And chapter 6 invites us specifically to see that life wisdom comes as we do two things. One, as we learn time and time again through a lot of experience to control our cravings, our appetites. And to remember that God, second thing, to remember that God is in charge. And to remember that that's a good thing. That God being in charge means that the only one who really wants the good for us is the one who's in charge. So I want us this morning to look at from what from our standpoint life seems to be. Which brings us to a first point this morning. Life seems unfair, the injustices of a fallen world. You know, we understand that evil is a fact of a sin-twisted life under the sun. Under the sun, how Ecclesiastes describes that. And so now let's read Ecclesiastes 6. Uh, out in the parking lot when everybody was in their cars, I said, buckle your seatbelts. You don't have seatbelts in the pew. But this is not an easy chapter. Hang with me. We need to get all the Word of God before us, and then we'll, we'll take it a little bit by bit. There is an evil, Ecclesiastes 6, 1 begins, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and he also has no, no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. I know that's a difficult uh, verse to even hear. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness and in darkness its name is covered Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet that stillborn child finds rest rather than the one who has much and doesn't enjoy it. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one with ones stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? 
which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps you've seen the movie IQ as IQ as in how we measure our brain power. Um, IQ stars Walter Matthau as an older Albert Einstein, and Meg Ryan uh, plays the role of his niece, Catherine. She's a postdoctoral candidate in mathematics at Princeton University, and like her uncle, a brainiac. And then it has Tim Robbins as Ed. He's a mechanic in a garage. But he meets Catherine, and it, man, he is smitten. He falls in love with her in the first moment that he gazes upon her. And, and the movie portrays, uh, and Matthau is a perfect actor to do this, portrays Einstein in a role that we are not used to thinking of Einstein in, and that is as matchmaking uncle. In one scene, Einstein and three of his friends, brainiacs like he is, just incredibly super smart, also like Einstein, old, older men, and, and they are standing at Einstein's house discussing whether time exists. You can imagine what kind of a conversation that would be with those four superminds there talking about time and its existence. When all cleaned up from the garage, in walks Ed, hoping to see Catherine. Einstein brings him in, already sort of surmising something's going on here, and he corners him in the room, and he asks in his Swedish, uh, in his Swiss accent, so young man, do you think time exists? And Ed pauses, because he looks at these four guys, super brains, they're talking about time, they're asking him, do I think time exists? He finally says, I was just reading about it in Future Science magazine. There were these twins, and one takes a journey in a spacecraft at the speed of light, and the other one stays on Earth. Well, the twin that traveled into space comes back years later, and he's still young. And the one that stayed on Earth by this time has grown very old. So which one do you think is happier? And one of the older men immediately answers, of course, the younger one. And, and the other three quickly agree with him, but Ed just as quickly corrects them and says, no, the one who stayed behind. And Einstein, surprised, asks, why? And Ed explains, because he had a full life. And he's had experiences and, and love and pain. And he has a family and friends. And the one who left, well, time has just passed. My friends, Ecclesiastes points out to us starkly the difference between just watching time pass us by and experiencing the fullness of life under the sun in all of its joys and sorrows and injustices. Or as Ecclesiastes 5.18 puts it, because haven't you figured out by now that in Ecclesiastes, God is speaking to us about things that we don't get? Sin clouds our minds and we don't get these things. And so God just keeps repeating them. Oh, if they read all the way through, they'll get this. And so Ecclesiastes 5.18 put it this way, What I have seen to be good for man is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the few days of his life that God has given him. 
This is, this is God's desire for us that we would discover satisfaction in the experiences of life, all of them. Yes, life is filled with injustices. Life seems unfair. We'll talk more about that next week, even greater depth. But meaning comes as we thank God for life, as we thank God for giving us the ability to enjoy life, and as we thank God in our joys and in our sorrows. And listen, I totally get it. Because when I step out of the pulpit, I'm just robbed. I totally get it that it's much easier for me to preach this than for any of us to live it. Because life under the sun is so obviously unfair. Which is a second point. Life seems unfair to us because we see so much abundance not enjoyed. <laughs> is there anything quite so disappointing in life as to amass a lot of stuff only to discover that you're not able to enjoy it? Please don't think about your storage bin, your closets, your attic, or your basement right now. Ecclesiastes 6, 2-3 examines the injustice of having and yet not being able to enjoy. And it gives us three scenarios that cover a lot of waterfront, I believe. First, there's the issue of the one who has great wealth and yet doesn't live long enough to be able to enjoy it. And second, there's the issue of a man richly blessed with goods and with many children, and yet his wealth doesn't satisfy him. And when he dies, his children don't even remember to give him a burial. Whew, stark picture. Third, there's a person who's given life even twice the length of life that Methuselah enjoyed, and he still finds no satisfaction in life. Jesus taught about this. He said, what does it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world and yet forfeits, loses himself, his soul. Life's meaning, life's joy is not discovered in our wealth or our number of offspring or even having offspring or in the length of our years. Life's joy is discovered in relationship with the only one who can give us meaning and purpose in life, and that's God. Solomon said this back again. Don't, don't miss the repetition. Solomon said this at 3.13. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We are to see life as God's gift, and that brings purpose and enjoyment in our lives. And yet we also know, we see it every day, that evil is crouching at the door, just waiting. And more than that, it's not just crouching, it's pursuing us. It's chasing us, trying to fill our lives with dissatisfaction with what we have. Like Ecclesiastes 6.10, whatever has come to be has already been named. A third point, because you see, life seems unfair because we, we find that what seems to be a new discovery has already been named. And, and Solomon, Solomon made this point way back in chapter 1, verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Now somebody after the first service service said, um, well, thankfully, we still feel them as being new. And yes, there is newness in life. There is, there is the joy of, of discovery. 
But what God is driving at here for us is something that we don't want to recognize because it hits at the center, the core of our human psyche, our pride, because we like to think we're progressing. We like to think that we're helping history move along, that somehow uniquely we are adding to the, the, the sum total of the universe here. And then God says to us in His Word, there is nothing new under the sun. And we go, well, that's pretty unfair. And if it's unfair, then, whoa, what is is there meaning in life? But we miss what God's driving home to us here, what He's seeking to help us see. And that is that purpose is not found in our discoveries of the new. Those are great. But the purpose of life is not found in the discovery of the new. It is in seeing that our work, our purpose in life, is to come alongside God and join Him in His work. Think back to God and Adam in the garden, right? God, God the creator, God had created everything. It was all done. And God looked at it and he said, this is very good. Everything complete. But God still said to Adam, hey buddy, come on. I've got something for you to do. And he asked Adam to name the animals. This reminds us, this little scene here very early in the Bible reminds us that while God knows history, He created history, so He knows history from before it was to long after it will be brought to conclusion when Christ returns again. God knows all of that and God is in charge of all of that and yet God still wants us to be involved with Him. We have a very real purpose. We are made and brought into this world to come alongside God and to cooperate with God and to make His creation even more beautiful and to bring greater glory to God. This is an incredibly huge purpose that is given to no other thing or being animal in creation. Besides that, no matter how great our inventions and our discoveries and all the rest of that, God's always greater than all of that. In fact, why do we try over and over again to be greater than God? To build towers as we try to see what is over the sun. God gives us life. We don't have to find it. He gives it to us. God gives life purpose. And God gives us the wisdom to enjoy life as we walk with Him through it. Now listen, I grant you, from our sin-twisted perspective, life seems unfair. But from God's perspective, His heaven, heavenly and, and perfect perspective, which is the perspective that He gives us in Jesus Christ, from that perspective, life doesn't seem unfair. Life seems full. Which brings us to a fourth point. Life seems full, not fair. Which is what we discover when we know the one who knows what is good. Because see, we live life wanting life to be fair, but in a fallen world, it just isn't. But in Jesus Christ, God gives us fullness. He gives us full satisfaction. The fight for fair, every, every time that we fight for fair, it drives us to want more. And, and we're never filled. 
because I always want more. Listen, no, I don't think there's been a country in the history of the world that has come closer than the United States of America to discovering equal justice under the law for all people. And we've blown it a lot of times. But, but let's just say for a moment that we thought, okay, we have finally gotten equal justice. We have finally made life fair for everybody. Guess what? There would be somebody who would pop up and say, that's not fair. There would be somebody who would say it's not quite fair for me like it is for that person. Because when we are fighting for fair, then we always want more and we're never satisfied. But when we receive the gift of fullness from God, then we have a peace that pervades our life. Ephesians 3.19 says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Every time I read that passage, and I've read it a half a dozen times this morning, every time I read that passage, I sit there and go, I cannot even begin to understand what the fullness of God is, and yet God tells me that in Christ, I'm filled with it. That's just big. You know, during COVID-19, this congregation, Lenore Presbyterian Church, we have sought to focus on what we're able to do with God's help, not fret about the things that we can't do. And so we've celebrated that we're here in worship inside, whereas the church right next door still is not back inside. Um, that we've been able to do that rather than fret that we haven't yet started singing in here and that's such a huge part of worship. We all miss it. But we haven't fretted about what we can't do. We've just said, hey, each day let's celebrate and do what we can do. And I'm so proud of y'all. Oh my gosh, what an incredible congregation. We have been smart through this COVID thing, but we have also not stopped our mission work. But you know what? I think that's the only route that has made any sense. Because what good, what gain would we get if we tried to take charge and tried to force our way through? Because, you know, as this chapter 6 ends, only God knows what is good for us. And only God knows what is coming next. Only God knows what is good for us and only God knows what is coming next. And those are just two really really important phrases to keep in our minds, particularly as we push this coming week into chapter 7. To remember that God is in charge and God is the one who's giving us life wisdom. I'll leave you with this proverb. It's uh, Proverbs 24, 14. Know that wisdom is like honey to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Your hope will not be cut off. Oh, my prayer, brothers and sisters, is this week we will find God's wisdom is far more satisfying than the honey we can pull from the hive and that we will taste it and that we will find our hope is not cut off. Now to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, may you go in peace to do His work. God be with you. Amen.